Hello and welcome back to another Lamentations of the Flame Princess campaign diary. A series in which I hope you learn ideas for your campaigns and also enjoy the story. Um, last session we saw our heroes travel up Deathfrost Mountain. They were headed there on behalf of the region's ruler, Lord Alfin, in search of answers to a strange ailment that had left soldiers who visited the mountain completely unable to move, barely breathing and covered in ice and frost. Additionally, Dolmve City, the region's capital, had had some trouble with their vineyards, namely that their grapes are all withered, black and cold to the touch. Believing Deathfrost Mountain to be the cause of this also, that's when they headed off. So today we start in a cabin atop Deathfrost Mountain. The heroes have just entered and taken a good look around. Gunlet, a fuzzy or woodland hobbit, enters a room to see a painting of himself, stood exactly as he was the first time he saw the fresco. Except instead of the backdrop of the cabin, behind him in the picture is a tall grey skeleton standing behind an altar. While most of the team ponder over the painting, Nico is in the main room. He has found a hatch leading down and down into darkness. Calling for the rest of the team, Killen, a pretentious elf, and Luther, the eccentric wizard, along with Gunlet, come into the room. Once inside, they see the hatch that Nico has found. Ezekiel, a backwards loner who lives at the base of Deathrost Mountain, is also with the team. He was forced to show them the way up the mountain, threatened with violence by Killen. Taking a look inside the hatch by lamplight, they can see that no ladder descends below, but on the sheer smooth stone inside the downwards tunnel, there are handholds carved into the walls. Feeling brave, Killen is the first to climb down. He discovers that it is extremely deep, eventually reaching pitch blackness about halfway down. It's at this point, feeling around for the handholds, that he loses grip. Up above, Nico, Gunlet and Luther simply hear a long reverberating scream from Killen down below, followed by a sickening thud coupled with a harsh crunching sound. Ezekiel suddenly has a terrified look in his eyes. He nervously clutches a yam stick. Luther calls out into the shaft, tempting to determine Killen's condition, but there is no response, so Gunlet decides to take action. He ties a long rope to a somewhat large bed in the bedroom of the cabin, tying the other end to himself. Without hesitation, he begins to abseil down the dark shaft, a good way down as he scoots his feet down the wall inside. Something comes loose, and Gunlet starts to fall rapidly, the rope still tied around him. He's not sure what's happening. Panicked, he attempts to grab some handholds, but in the darkness he struggles to find purchase. He falls down below, Killen's unconscious body fortunately breaking his fall. Up above, in the cabin, it becomes suddenly obvious to Luther and Nico that the bed wasn't heavy enough to act as an anchor for Gunlet. It moves tiny bit by tiny bit across the floor. Then, as Gunlet begins to fall, the bed in the cabin above flies towards the hole and straight into Luther, winding him. Nico was undamaged, however, diving aside as the bed hurtled towards him. Some bed-hoiking and awkward climbs later, we find the whole party now in the caverns below the cabin. 
Lighting up torches and Luther lighting his lantern, they see that they are in a hallway. It's bitterly cold, even through their winter clothing. Frost adorns every surface and pointed stilettos of ice hang from the ceiling. On the walls, carved into the stone, are portrait upon portrait of screaming faces. Before them, they see a door. It's shaped like a gargoyle's face and has a lock inside the gargoyle's fanged mouth. Inside the lock is a key made from bronze. Gunlit approaches the door and after unlocking it with the bronze key, he pockets it. As Gunlit opens the door, a mass of spiders speedily escape, running across the feet of the party. Moving cautiously through the door, weapons drawn, Luther, Nico and Gunlit then come across a chamber. Similarly cold, like the hallway and covered in frost, on the north and west walls they spy ten small tables. Each of them have a severed skeletal hand atop them. Not wishing to spend too much time looking at these, Gunlit eyes them with nervous curiosity, but only for a second before pushing through a large set of polished bronze double doors to the east. As they enter, a gust of cold air meets their faces. Their bodies begin to shake as they're assaulted by freezing temperatures. A strange, otherworldly music can be heard echoing from somewhere, but not in this room somewhere else. This room appears to be some kind of chapel, complete with pews and an altar. The altar is not one of the great snakes, Alfinland's foremost religion, it is instead shaped like a fanged skull. Atop it sits a bowl. There is an organ in the corner too. Nico, who is a fledgling musician, walks between the aisle of the frosty pews and moves to inspect it. He sees that the organ keys are all finger bones and the pipes are larger bones hollowed out and stained at the end like a dying animal's teeth. Nico mentally notes that he can think of few animals with bones as large as these. Luther, gazing around the large underground room, notes a huge mural on the north wall next to a door. The painting depicts a man in a crown and a cape from behind, with many demons bowing before him. But perhaps most unsettling are ten carved ice skulls hanging from the ceiling. They occasionally drip ice-cold water onto the chapel's cold stone floor. He then moves to the eastern side of the room and inspects a door. It's large, bronze and is patterned with swirling engravings. Next to it are two stone basins built into the wall. The water inside the basins is murky and black, but Killen spies something shiny within. There is a sudden, unexplained feeling that washes over the party, a feeling of impending doom or a sense of death. It's difficult to put into words this feeling and Nico turns from the organ while Luther looks down from the ice skulls. Simultaneously, they both say, Did, Did anyone feel, feel that? Gunlit nods, nervously in agreeance. Now, of course, Killen lies on the precipice of death in the adjacent room, and the team know that returning to town would take far too long, and move to find a solution somewhere in their current surroundings. As the otherworldly music echoes from somewhere nearby, Nico sits in front of the organ. He cracks his fingers and begins to play. He attempts to match the music, following its strange melody deftly with his nimble fingers, but the organ feels blocked, as if there's something in the pipes. Nonetheless, he continues to play, hammering on the keys. Half of the notes sound muffled like they're underwater, and as he does so, he notices two things. Firstly, 
the otherworldly song briefly stops, and a shifting sliding sound coming from within the pipes. After a few seconds, some items shoot out of the top of the bone pipes. Nico finds landing almost in his lap an extravagant sapphire locket, a vial containing some bright red liquid, and a carved onyx bowl. Additionally, of course, many balls of fluff and grey dust burst from the pipes, causing Nico to cough. He realises that the red draft he just found could be just about anything, but crossing his fingers mentally, he races through to the other room and back to the hallway with the screaming carvings. Without hesitation, he uncorks the bottle and pours it down Killen's throat. Killen begins to contort and writhe on the ground, coughing up a good load of the liquid onto his own face. Then he becomes extremely cold, even giving Nico a chill from a few feet away. Killen's eyes then begin to bulge as if they want to jump from his head, and he begins to spasm wildly and scream. And then he sits up. A terrified, wide-eyed look on his face, still screaming, he feels an acute pain in his gums as three new foul-tasting teeth rapidly force their way out through his gingiva. He spits a thick glob of chunky blood on the floor after Nico helps him up. They exchange pats on the back as they move through the chapel, Killen hunching over tiredly. Entering the room, they see one of the hanging skulls drop from the ceiling. It smashes to the ground, exploding into snow and icy chunks. Right? Luther starts up, but he is interrupted. Ezekiel stands nervously in one corner and begins to speak. He tells them all that he's leaving. Whatever is down here can only be evil, he says, and he wants no part in it. He turns to exit. Wait, wait, wait! Nico beckons. There is one thing I must ask of you. If we do not return to your home in four hours, come to look for us. Ezekiel agrees and hurriedly goes to exit. Hang on a minute! Gunlet then interrupts again. Exasperated, Ezekiel stops. There's a favour I want to ask of you. Just one more thing. There's this grub fight manager in Dolnvay. I want you to go there and poison all of the bloke's grubs. Ezekiel, asking no questions, simply agrees, probably an attempt to shut them up, nodding and sweating even in this immense cold. He leaves, even more hurriedly now. Luther then inspects the northern door and the eastern one by the basins. He notes that the northern door is a fair bit colder and that a chill breeze gusts up from beneath it. The heroes then discuss strategies. They are torn between which door to take and believe that the basins are also of some import, seeing as Luther previously noted something shiny and gold within the dark water. Walking over and dipping his hand into the black water in an attempt to grab some of the treasures held within, Killen feels a strange, bulging sensation under his hand skin. He quickly grabs at anything he can and snatches his hand out of the water. He now holds in his hand a number of teeth, possibly human, and a gold chain with a small walnut-sized hinge box on it. He opens it to find there is an ancient carved ivory portrait on the inside. It is of a man, done in an archaic but sharply observed style. Using a frying pan which Nico took from the cabin above, Nico starts to fish around in the right basin. He does find a gold snake inside, not the animal, but a coin with a snake insignia on it. 
a unit of currency worth 100 silver pieces. Sadly though, in his clumsy attempt to get the contents out of the basin, he splashes some of the fetid water on himself. Luckily, it only hits his leather armour and the floor. Where the water landed, a sudden glut of teeth begin to grow very quickly, all attached to one another and evolving up and out in a procedural, succulent-like pattern. They grow quickly and stop after a few seconds. Not wishing to deal with the basins much longer after this strange occurrence, Luther ushers the heroes to the northernmost door across the room. Gunlit, bracing himself, yanks the door open. It gusts open, swinging and hitting the adjacent wall. The party are hit with another gust of cold air. Fed up and tired, Luther grumpily grouches into the hallway beyond the door. He takes a quick look into the cold passage and notes two doors on the western wall and two on the right, as well as another far north down the passage. Opening the first door in the east to his right, Luther finds a stinking room full of old, rotted cots and opened, empty footlockers. On the wall is a grotesque wooden mask with blackened human teeth set into the mouth. It stinks like the basins in the chapel. Luther immediately closes the door and moves on to the opposite one, the first door on the western wall. He finds a library. Most of the books are scattered on the stone floor and are somewhat damp, much like the shelves which are sodden, icy and bowed. Amongst the shelves though, he does spy a rather large scroll made from thick papyrus. They hear another skull drop from the ceiling in the other room, shattering with the same sound as before. Luther unfurls the scroll and sees that it's some kind of crude, poorly rendered architectural drawing depicting rooms, and has annotations in a strange language he doesn't recognise. He shows this find to Gunlit, Killen and Nico. The layout of the rooms is unfamiliar to them all. They take no chance to search the room thoroughly and leave. Killen then takes charge to open the next door on the west wall. It appears to be a cooking room of sorts. There are tables and benches surrounding a now extinguished fire pit. The walls here are stained black and yellow with smoke. Above the fire pit, on a spit, is an unidentifiable piece of old rotting meat covered in flies. In the pit below, many writhing maggots can be seen. Once again, they hurriedly close the door and leave, turning their attention to the second door on the east wall of the hallway. Opening the door, Gunlit sees that the room is littered with stained, ruined mats, corroded pots, and the shattered remains of several leg irons are bolted into the floor. There is something scratched into one of the walls. It appears to be musical in nature, not quite the same as a traditional score, but it's a sort of notation. Gunlit calls Nico over, who inspects the scratchings for a few minutes. Returning to the chapel, Nico once again stretches his arms, cracks his fingers, and he walks over to the organ. Sitting in front of it, he makes an attempt to play the notations from the wall he's just seen. He goes limp on the organ stool, and is suddenly the recipient of a vision. He stands atop the mountain again. He sees the masses of graves that were up there, the soil shifts and moves and then skeletal hands burst up and out. The dead are attempting to claw their way from beneath the ground. Ezekiel stands with his back to the cabin, grasping his yamstick tightly and muttering prayers to himself. Then Nico returns to the room to see Luther get a nasty surprise. His lantern smashes, bursting glass all over the ground. Oh right, good. Luther grumbles. Now, finally, the team make their way to the northern door again and hustle over to the door, 
far north in this hallway. After trudging along, holding their arms tight, trying to keep warm, they reached the large, heavy metal door. Pushing it nervously open, a wash of spiders once again crawl over their feet and escape down the hallway. Inside, they see a number of bizarre torture devices, all caked with old frozen blood and cobwebs, the largest of which is a series of iron hoops and rings attached in layers, somewhat like a gyroscope. On the inside of one of the hoops there are manacles which hold a pair of blue severed hands in them. Echoing down the hallway behind them, they hear another ice skull smash onto the floor. In the room, however, they spy a book on the floor in the torture room which Nico picks up and begins to examine. It is simple, leather-bound, and has no title on the cover, but opening it and glancing at the first page, Nico recognises this as the language from the book upstairs. He realises that translating it would take far too long right now, and instead pours over the title. He surmises that it says, The Tome of the Exalted Interrogator. During his translation, Luther takes a grim fascination over the torture device. He sees that the outside contains markings clearly corresponding to the position of various celestial objects. He surmises that as time passes and the Earth's position is shifted relative to these objects, the victim is twisted into ever more improbable positions by the movement of the cosmos. He smiles a wry smile, acknowledging the genius of the construction. Heading back to the chapel room once again, Luther makes a decision to examine the basins further. Looking on the underside, he spies some runes and recalls the offering basins he's seen in churches devoted to the Black Serpent of Chaos. Although rare, they can be found by a willing devotee, and the offering basins have runes on them in those churches too. However, he is unable to read these ones, and as such, he employs Nico's language decoding skills. Nico gives it a quick look and notes that it says, Offering and Teeth. Killen starts up and says, I know what to do, watch this, and he snaps a tooth from the dental mound that grew out of the floor earlier and plops it into the water. The door to the east finally creaks open. Continuing their exploration and heading through the door, the party come to a T-junction in the dungeon's smooth, cold stone walls. To the north, and to their left, there is a thick metal door with stained glass segments. In the centre of the door is a huge vault-like wheel, presumably to open the door. Looking to their right, south down the hallway, is a small room with an open door. Additionally, opposite them there is a door of the same design as the one pointing north. The wheel on the front of this one is rusty and old. They hear a fourth skull smash in the room behind them. Going south through the open door, they come to a room containing four stone slabs, stained with ancient blood, and around the room they can see pieces of shaped iron, bandages and surgical tools. There is a podium at the centre of the room with another book atop it. Nico simply bags this, but Killen, watching him do so, spies an oddity in the podium. There is a slight raised area on the top. Killen presses the surface with his hand, and the top of the podium tilts up to reveal a not-so-secret compartment. There are four vials in there of deep amber liquid. Killen pours some of the contents of the vial onto the floor and notes that for a short period, the stone floor becomes less cracked, less decayed, and 
warmer to the touch. It looks new. Heading back north, they look through the glass panelling of the door opposite the chapel. Killen sees a huge crypt housing rows upon rows of ornately engraved stone coffins, perhaps 200 or so. They are all closed shut with thick ice around the rims. He cranks the handle, opening the door, and ushers everyone in. None of them feel very comfortable in here, so they make a quick search of the vast room. Gunlet heads around the coffins, his short legs carrying him as fast as they'll go, and he finds very little. A similar situation for Luther too, who remains by the who remains mostly by the door. Killen, however, spies a spiral staircase leading down at the far side of the room. Following it down, he is hugely unnerved by what he sees. An identical crypt, 200 or so more coffins, and the stairs go deeper and deeper. Oh no, how many could there be? He wonders before quickly heading back up. On his way through, he spies a piece of paper sticking out from one of the coffins, frozen in the ice which keeps the coffin shut. He removes his grappling hook from his satchel and uses it to chip away at the ice. Eventually, he manages to remove all the ice surrounding the paper, a careful tug, and it's still stuck. So Killen lifts the coffin lid slightly with one hand and yanks the paper free. As he does so, a set of spindly skeletal fingers grasp at him from the coffin, and he yelps, dropping the coffin lid, snapping them off. Then there is a rumble, a groaning and cracking sound echoing from every corner in the crypt, and the heroes all look around to see every coffin in the room shaking and bursting ice from their sides. Skeletal hands and heads emerge from the coffins, and while Gunlit and Luther are near the door and escape easily, they stand at the entrance, baiting Nico and Killen to hurry up. Both Nico and Killen dash through the room, jumping over and dodging past reanimated skeletons as they flop out of their graves and begin to stand. They promptly lock the door behind them, turning the massive crank. They return to the chapel, breathless and terrified. They see through the east door of the chapel, which is open, that the skeletons are clambering over one another, smashing at the glass panel on the thick door opposite. It bows and bows, the metal supports of the stained glass holding it together, but it won't last long. They decide to look at the paper Killen found in the crypt. As they regard it, another ice skull startles them, smashing on the ground and dropping from the ceiling. The paper that Killen found is another musical score. It's labelled Dismissal Fugue. Nico once again approaches the organ and begins to play. It's a dark and sombre tune laden with sadness, and as it rings out from the grotesque organ, Killen and Nico simply disappear. No fancy magical effect or anything, they just cease to exist. Gunlit and Luther stand in the chapel looking around everywhere trying to see where they've gone. Killen and Nico instantly find themselves in the crypt again. They pop into existence and see that by the door the skeletons have become a tangled homogenous ball of skeletal limbs which thrash wildly and without reason. The mass starts to travel slowly towards them, its hands scraping and dragging it across the floor. It's between them and the door. Nico sprints forward, attempting to springboard off the mass and towards the door. As he leaps through the air, he is captured. Many dead hands grab at his legs, dragging him into the centre of the hideous bone ball. He screams and wails for help. His cries are heard from the chapel. Gunlit and Luther bolt towards the crypt. At this point, Killen attempts the move that Nico did mere seconds ago, and he bounds forward, leaps as high as he can, soaring over the mound of vicious dead and... He is grabbed. A long, grasping, bony hand grabs him too by the ankle. They are sinking into the bone mass like sinking sand, the hands grasping at anything they can find purchase on. 
Reaching the door to the crypt, Luther and Gunlet exchange an encouraging, determined nod before turning the wheel and entering the room, at which point Gunlet with lightning speed globs a thick layer of the amber liquid they found earlier all over the skeleton pile. The ones nearer the bottom return to some earlier state, rotted and broken tendons and veins wrap around their arms, scant bits of decaying skin returning to their faces. These skeletons touched by the amber liquid lie motionless, stopping the mass from moving from that spot. The topmost undead, however, still pull Nico and Killen further in. Luther holds his staff by the very end and reaches it out to the top of the pile. Nico and Killen are now up to their necks, but they know what they must do. Each of them grab Luther's staff, and with a mighty yank, Luther pulls them both out over his head and slumps to the floor himself, before Gunlit closes the crypt door once again. The skeletons continue to smash against it. Taking a quick look into the chapel, the team notes that there are now only three ice skulls remaining on the ceiling. Two more had fallen during the encounter with the shambling bone ball. All now believing the skulls to be some kind of timer, they quickly turn north, through the other ornate, wheel-locked door, and see that they are in a long, long hallway, which stretches ever north. On the left side, a single door. On the right, two doors, one midway up and one at the end. Opposite the one at the end, the catacomb bends to the left. Pressed for time, Killen takes a look through the door at the end. He sees that it is yet another crypt, except it's full of wooden, cheap caskets. At the end of them are some begging bowls. He enters to steal the contents. Nico, meanwhile, enters the first door in the long corridor. He too finds a crypt. This one is similar to the first one, but he sees swords, lances and axes emblazoned on the coffin lids. Luther walks all the way up to the long corridor and takes the left bend. He, he then spies another mess of left turns and right turns. Taking one of the right turns, he heads past two fountains, featuring statues of children, and past that he enters a doorway. Bursting in, he finds another gargantuan crypt. This time, all the coffins are child-sized. Gunlit races past this room to the end of a long corridor, turns left and finds a winding corridor with many rooms, entering one door which is adorned with a flaking mural of a woman watching slaves stabbing themselves. He, inside, he sees a number of canopic jars, each containing eyes attached to long strands of human innards. As he stares at them, two similar eyes drop from the ceiling and begin to strangle him with their entrail bodies. Killing loots a number of coins from the begging baskets in the cheap-looking crypt, then darts out to see that Nico has finished too. He is racing up the corridor behind Killen. They skid round the left bend and see Luther coming out of the crypt. It's children, Luther yells as they continue sprinting through the winding catacombs. Nothing good ever comes from kids. Then they hear Gunlit. He's wheezing out a pained, choked scream. They pick up the pace even further and race towards his voice. Upon entering the room, they see an exhausted, panting gunlet standing amongst the canopic jars. He has two ice stalks on the end of his weapons, a spear and a dagger. <coughs> Fucking eyes! He pants out. This room is a no-go. And then, there is a horrific sound echoing throughout the whole labyrinth. Shifting stone, grinding and cracking, followed by the screams of thousands upon thousands of waking dead. Get back to the chapel! Nico blurts. They head back the way they came, sweating and running as fast as they can, however only a small portion of the way down, a literal wave of tumbling and reaching skeletons barrels down the hallway at breakneck speed. The skeletons scream, waving their limbs wildly and slash in all directions as they tangle over one another, crumbling their way towards the heroes like a tidal wave of death. 
Darting his eyes quickly around, Gunlit simply points to an unexplored hallway to the north. The heroes run as fast as they can, giving every ounce of energy to their escape, seeing a large set of bronze double doors as their destination. As they run, they are barely out of reach of the skeletal wave, their eyes wide with fear. They begin to tumble over one another in the narrow hallway. This slows them down significantly, and without looking back, they all feel the claws of the undead reaching and scratching at their backs, wounding them severely and spilling out blood onto the cold stone floor. Killin, however, at the merest suggestion of being hurt, makes a move to snap cast the shield spell on himself, and he suffers no debilitating wounds. They are almost there, they're sprinting for their lives and clumsily barreling through the hallway towards the door when Nico shouts out, Come on, move your fucking legs! As they reach the heavy door, slamming it and barring it behind them with the handle of the frying pan, they all push on it. Many of the skeleton's arms are severed by the might of the heroes and the weight of the door. Utterly exhausted, bloody backed and gasping for air, they are momentarily safe. Except for Gunlit. Bleeding profusely, he slumps to the floor with a great thud. He is unconscious. The sound of the skeletons on the other side of the door is relentless. They bash and scream against it, creating a discordant, hideous chorus accompanied by thunderous crashing. But it's now that the heroes are able to take in their surroundings. Before them is, you guessed it, a crypt. This one is quite different, however. It's icy and cold and, and around the same vast size as the others, but rather than normal coffins, it houses a small number of ornate golden sarcophagi. It has two indoor pools which run down the centre of the room and opposite them, on the other side of the huge room, is a large black lens, the size of a small wagon wheel and the thickness of an arm. But in front of that is a spider woman. She has the body of a giant dark blue spider, but emanating from the part usually containing the spider's head, there is a torso of a woman, like a centaur from the children's stories and fables, but instead of a horse, it's a hulking arachnid. Who are you? She simply asks. Um, we are working for the king, blurts out Nico, almost by accident, forgetting himself in his tired state. Lord Alfin, that pig, prepare to die, followers of corruption. She points a sword at them, which flames blue with fire, but from the flames drop snowflakes. And then, with a disgusting raspy burp, she pukes two large swarms of spiders onto the floor, which race towards the heroes. Acting quick, Killin immediately casts fairy fire on the spider woman. She illuminates green and is keenly visible to anyone wishing to attack her. Seeing that, Luther blasts her with magic missile. Bolts of arcane energy burn towards her and scorch her flesh. She screams and points her sword at Luther before skittering towards him on her eight gigantic legs. And then the swarms of spiders all head towards Drek, Luther's pet chicken, and the chicken screeches and wails as they bite into his tiny body. Nico, seeing that the spider woman is distracted and heading towards Luther, darts forward, leaps up, and with the type of timing and finesse only common among thieves and master martial artists, he bends the woman's hand with his left hand to loosen her grip and snatches the sword away with his right hand, all in one swift motion while leaping through the air. 
He lands next to her, holding the sword, and then skids underneath her spider body. And with as much ferocity as he can muster, he plunges her own weapon into her underbelly. A swathe of viscous goo and spider innards burst out all over his face. Then, to make sure, he twists and yanks the blade around while it's still in her guts. Her legs shake, then buckle as she slams onto the floor, the human body portion of her slumping over, her eyes closed. Nico is, of course, still underneath. After being yanked out by Luther, the woman begins to speak, coughing up thick, meaty blobs of blue blood. Congratulations to you. <coughs> you got the lens. I'm sure Lord Halfin will be pleased with you. She is barely able to lift her head and speaks in a pained, wretched manner. But, <coughs> you know, Morden will want it back. Morden is the leader of the army currently opposing Lord Alfin in the war. And he'll do anything to get it back. Your little city is doomed. <laughs> she sniggers. And you'll never find the other two anyway. <coughs> she folds over, dead. At this point, Gunlet, hacking and wheezing, bloody and battered, starts to twitch and move around. His eyes slowly roll forward from the back of his head. Did we win? He manages. Yes. Luther responds, we won. Now let's get back to town. Noting that the sounds in the hallway have stopped, they open the bronze double doors to see that the skeletons are no longer moving, and so they limp over the remains of thousands upon thousands of skeletons and leave, heading back to Donvay City. So that is it for another episode of the Campaign Diary. Uh, just wanted to talk about a couple of things. First of all, some people that play this game may recognize this adventure as being kind of similar to uh, Death Frost Doom. Um, that's because that's what it was. That's what I was running. Um, it's a fantastic adventure. Really, really, really good. And an important uh, part to own for any collection of Lamentations stuff. It's really, really good. Um, obviously, anyone that's run this will notice that there's some differences here in, in the way that I ran it. But uh, that's because I, I sort of molded it a little bit to fit, uh, you know, the, the overarching story that's going on a little bit. But if you play it completely as written or alter it a little bit or just take ideas from it, it is a must own, honestly. It's such a good adventure. And yeah, it's it's creepy as hell. And the ice skull um, thing where they were falling down from the ceiling, um, the, the party did predict, uh, did, did correctly predict that obviously that is um, a timer mechanic. And that's why they started running through the dungeon and taking random turns is because they were terrified that something awful was going to happen at the end of the timer. Of course, at the end of the timer, that's when all of the skeletons and all of the dead, even from above, start to wake up and start to come down and uh, start going for them, killing them, going for the balls. Uh, additionally, a lot of people noticed that Gunlet was unconscious and then came back to life at the end. This is because he spent his very last fate point. And if you don't know what those are, we discussed them in the first episode and essentially... They are um, a means to get out, get out of a critical attack or death. Um, most people get D3 of these and they can never ever be refreshed. It, I took it from Warhammer um, just to make the characters in the early game slightly more survivable. But now, Gunlit has none left. If he ever goes down again and doesn't get healed, obviously, 
it, then he's dead, you know? So, uh, yeah, it was really, really fun playing through this one. And there is, I think next episode is going to be a bit crazy because they, there's a lot of stuff they want to wrap up in town. They want to um, try to steal wine from somewhere um, so that they have, uh, so that they can present Lord Alfin with wine. Uh, they've got the grub fight that was mentioned in episode two where Gunlet is going to fight 25 grubs um, in order to win a really prized grub. Uh, long story, but basically, yeah, one of the things they gamble on in pubs in this universe is grub fights. And they're essentially like two uh, two grubs fighting each other and people put money down on it. Poisonous grubs, big like a forearm. Um, and yeah, I, I can't remember what else they wanted to do, but I think there's other stuff they want to wrap up in the town. So it's going to be bloody entertaining. Um, but that's it for another episode. I will see you next time. Thank you.